That's right. Well, good morning. It's almost time to start. Um, let me turn my mic on here. I want to thank you all for taking the time to invest in this particular topic of women in missions, especially the gentlemen that are coming in. It's so good to have uh, men that want to join in on the work of women around the world, the work of women right here in the United States. So, so thanks for coming. And um, I wish we had the time to listen to each of your stories. I know you have lots and lots of great things to share and, and probably tons of interest as well that it would be valuable for me to know as I, as I share with you today our story and the story of women around the world, women through history, women in God's word. Unfortunately, we don't have that much time. We have 45 minutes. <laughs> so let's maximize our time together by uh, just opening up with a word of prayer. Can we do that? God, we love you so much. We thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, you are the great creator and the great redeemer. And we thank you, Lord, that your story, the story of redemption, the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, includes women, that we have a unique and special role, Lord, to play in, in telling your story, in loving you and in serving you <clears throat> from now until all eternity. Father, thank you for gathering um, all of us together today in your name. All of us come here, including me, to sit at your feet and listen. So speak to us, Lord, through um, the words that we are about to share, the words that we're listening to, but most of all, Lord, the loud cry of your spirit in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Again, my name is Kim Kerr. I uh, happen to serve currently with an organization called Partners International. Anybody ever heard of Partners few of you. We've been around since 1943. Um, however, the women's track, if you will, the women's initiative of partners is relatively new, just a little over six years old. I've got a couple of wires hanging from me, so excuse me if I, if I trip over myself. I hope not to do that. <laughs> but um, our privilege is working with women in some of the least um, reached parts of the world, and as I've had the privilege of doing that with partners and with an, uh, another organization previous to that, and even prior to that <clears throat> at a local pregnancy center and maternity home ministry for 10 years, I've seen the amazing way that God works in and through women. I've also seen how God uses health care and health issues and um, caring for the sick and the needy and opening up the lives and the hearts of women and then through women, children, families, communities, villages, and cities. And so I'm really excited to just interact with you today, talk about some of the things that, that I have seen and learned and also learned from you. So let's get started with that. Um, I've entitled our session, Women in the Window. I, I use that as an illustration of what I have seen God do and what I, I love to do, which is looking into the Word of God. Um, <clears throat> We all know, I believe, in this room, that's why you're here, that women have a very significant and beautiful role to play in God's story. Would you agree with that? Again, I would love to hear from each of you. I wish we had time for that. We will have time for question and answer a little bit later. Um, this photo illustrates um, a woman 
and her little girl in India. And there's so much rich history of missions in India. Um, how many of you were here last night and made it for um, King's Pride Hammond? Wasn't that awesome? I was so inspired by him. And um, especially having just been in Ghana last month and having spent time with Ghanaian um, men and women, I was especially encouraged by what he had to say. And I actually even have my little um, uh, hymnal here from the Accra Chapel in Ghana. And I was reading through it this morning, and I came upon this hymn that was written by Amy Carmichael, probably a familiar name to some of us. And I thought it was so apropos for what this session is about and this entire conference is about. So if you don't mind, I'd like to share that. Her hymn is actually a prayer. It says, Dear Lord, for all in pain we pray to thee. O come and smite again thine enemy. Give to thy servant skill to soothe and bless. And to the tired and ill, give quietness. And Lord, to those who know pain may not cease, come near that even so they may have peace. Amy Wilson Carmichael, 1867 to 1951. How the Lord has interwoven our lives together through the lives and the stories of women. Um, We teach an inductive, oral, narrative Bible study called Women in the Window. And I absolutely love to do this um, um, cross-culturally because women in other parts of the world, quite frankly, are so much more interactive than we are. They're very, very comfortable with the application session of um, Women in the Window um, as they love incorporating the lessons that we learn from the lives of Deborah or Ruth or Lydia or Priscilla into their own lives and using the oral arts to do so. Poetry, dance, song, story, skit. Because you know what? We learn by doing, don't we? And what we're here to talk to you about today is how healthcare can also be taught interactively. Um, I have a dear friend of mine and a co-laborer in the ministry, Isla Swick, who will be sharing with you in just a few minutes about how that is so. And because we primarily work in what is called the 1040 window, which, again, King's Pride mentioned last night, he referenced, uh, where perhaps statistics vary depending on your source, but 95% of those unreached peoples still remain. Um, Before going to Ghana, I was actually in Turkey working with some women from North Africa in the Middle East, uh, places like Libya and Turkey and and so forth and so on. We all gathered together there. And I was just amazed to to hear from some of them who were translators of the scripture that there are still major pockets of people and languages who have yet to receive the scripture in their own language. So all the more important why we need to take the word of God the will of God, the plan of redemption, Jesus Christ, um, to women orally in ways that they can readily understand and then pass on. Of course, we know that uh, women are listed in the lineage of Christ. And throughout this presentation, I wanted to just pepper it with different resources that if you're really, truly um, called of God to work with women, that you might find of interest. Uh, I love Francine Rivers, one of my favorite authors, and she's written a great book called The Lineage of Grace, references the five women in the lineage of Christ, and uh, she uses historical narrative. Of course, there, we just mentioned Amy Carmichael. There's women all throughout history who <coughs> have um, shaped the face of the redemption story. Um, who has a favorite historical woman missionary that you would, you would name? Yes. 
Corrie Ten Boom, great one. Yeah, she was a, an unlikely missionary, wasn't she? Uh, not something that she had planned, but God had a plan for her. Anybody else? Ida Scudder, who's mentioned. Great. Yes? Okay, now I don't know that. What can you tell us about her? Wonderful. Right, and she's impacted your life, obviously. That's nice. Thanks for sharing. So we can see, yes. Sorry? Yes, most definitely. So we can see how God has used women through his story and through our story, the um, history, to shape the world and to reach the world for Christ. Again, another great reference, Faithful Women and Their Extraordinary God by Noel Piper. And then today, we are seeing, um, I wouldn't even call it a resurgence, I think we're seeing a surge of women look around this room who are being called of God to go and to take the good news of Jesus Christ to women and to peoples, to cultures, where it's only appropriate for women to reach women. Um, This photo was taken in Cape Town at the Lausanne Congress for World Evangelism. Anybody there? Last October 2010, a few of us, no? Well, I had the privilege of going, and what I thought was exceptionally unique, I I sat at the feet of Annette Bright, whose husband, Bill Bright, was one of the founders of the Lausanne movement, and she mentioned how in the very first meeting of Lausanne in Berlin in 1964, actually pre-Lausanne meeting, kind of building up to that, that there were only the wives of the top leaders, and when it came time to talk missions business, they were invited to take a tour of the city. So their voice wasn't necessarily needed in that conversation. However, fast forward to last October, and it was a requirement of all those who were invited that at least 35% of participants would be women. So it's very exciting and encouraging to see us really getting in on what Jesus Christ has meant from the Um, get-go. But what are some of the barriers? What are some of the things that get in the way with women being able to be reached with the gospel and then they themselves becoming missionaries within their own culture. I've listed just a few of the topics here, things like um, um, the oppressiveness in in specific cultures, uh, the lack of education, extreme poverty and how that impacts women more often than men. And as it impacts, impacts women, it impacts the entire family and the community, um, disease and poor health. And then erroneous worldviews that teach that women are, in fact, lesser and women are, in fact, um, not um, worthy of the investment. I've listed some facts here. This is quite a bit of word, so I I won't take the time to read all this. But the specific topics may or may not be um, of interest to you, may or may not be something that you're aware of. Uh, We're all aware of the uh, probably the one-child policy in China, which is, in fact, getting better, but it has impacted a lot, lot of baby girls, and it's, in fact, affecting the um, gender parity of that that great nation. Um, How about dowry deaths? How many of us have heard of a dowry death before? Relatively common um, practice, unfortunately, in the great nation of India. It's one of the places that I love the most. It's actually where God first called me to do what we're doing now with empowering local indigenous women. Uh, But women are actually set on fire in their own home um, if they fail to produce an adequate dowry or if their family feels that they need more dowry, thus another bride. 
Um, of course, we're all pretty aware now, thanks to IJM and other agencies, of the huge sexual trafficking and human trafficking trade, <coughs> the um, impact of that on, on women and children, and just uh, general abuse. And then lack of education. Um, I'll never forget one time, I think it was my first trip to the Sudan, actually, and I went to visit various schools. This was back in 2006. It was right after the, um, the comprehensive peace agreement had come into place in Sudan, forcing a peace between the north and the south. And so we were free to walk around and, and just to visit places that had uh, previously been closed or quite dangerous. So we went to visit some schools. And the first classroom that we went into was very young children, probably preschool, maybe up to first grade. And it was about equal boys and girls. I didn't really notice that, but I just delighted in seeing the children playing and learning. Um, the next age level was maybe first grade um, to hmm, third, possibly fourth grade. And I started noticing that there was far more boys present in the room than, than little girls, um, didn't really think about it, but by the time we got to the fifth and the sixth grade, there were literally no girls present. And any ideas why that might be? It's because the girls had been taken home to take care of domestic um, duties to help because mom possibly had gone to work because they were not considered worthy of investing in them for higher education. And thus is the case in many, many places around the world. Welcome. Thanks for coming. And then this is what the topic that we're here for today, um, to specifically look at the limited or no health care. And on the, uh, this is, to me, it's kind of the top of the iceberg. There are so many other issues as it relates to women underneath that that build the foundation of both need and opportunity. But here we sit on the top of this mountain, if you will, looking out over the world, looking at the opportunities that God has opened up for women in our generation. And many of you in the room are much younger than myself, so you have that many more years, hopefully, to serve the Lord in your generation, which is very exciting to me. Um, I could jump up and down right now, but I won't do that because I've got all these wires hanging. <laughs> um, but here we sit on the top of this, as I said, need which for us in this room is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ. Um, again, I loved what King's Pride Hammond shared last night about really what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen, is about showing Christ to the nation, showing Christ to the people, showing Christ to the person, and in our case, to the woman. The woman who is so often overlooked and so often left out. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Again, we have a number of statistics here, and this is obviously just a very, very small portion of statistics. I, we gathered these in the United Nations website. Um, but <clears throat> what are the ways that we can do that? Well, there's many. And as you know, there's many breakout sessions here today. Um, I wanted to start with the role of a healthcare professional. And um, a really neat little book that I actually picked up in Ghana is entitled Carrie. Christ and cultural transformation. And it's a, it's a really nice intermingling of what did William Carey or the expatriate missions movement do? What did it accomplish? And how is that impacting cultural transformation today? And they mentioned specifically health care and that in the, in the nation of India, as one example of many, that for the common people, being a health care professional is not necessarily um, esteemed. 
And for that reason, what occurred to me is that for those of you who are healthcare professionals, as Isla will be sharing with us shortly, um, if God calls you to go, go. Because you then elevate the opinion of the people of, oh, this is a worthy field. This is something that I would aspire to do. This is an area that I should invest my education and my time. I also wanted to share with you um, a curriculum that we have learned from the, the gal who created it. Her name is Charlene McWilliam. And she is the um, author and creator of the Women's Cycle of Life. Charlene <clears throat> is a member of the team of um, LifeWind International, Medical Ambassadors International. And after 20 years of experience and many different <clears throat> um, ways of serving around the world, Charlene just sat down one day and said, you know what, I need to write a curriculum that empowers women in, through interactive training, through participatory um, women's um, health issues, nutrition, hygiene, what have you, so that they, in fact, can own this in their community, and they, in fact, can pass it on to their family, their community, their village. So this is a wonderful complement to the healthcare professional. It actually can go deeper, I believe, in my opinion, and further in um, promoting health at a very basic level and also promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ in a grassroots level. So these are some of the nations that um, Charlene and her team have taken, Women's Cycle of Life, CHE Method, and actually the final one, India, um, is when Isla Swick, Isla, if you want to come now and just share with us, um, Isla and I worked together to pioneer that field, and we worked along with Charlene and the materials, and Isla organized the training with um, various women in the area of uh, Delhi, North India. And start with, um, start with sharing with us, Isla, about, sorry, we're transferring wires. Uh, you know what, that's the wrong wire. Start with sharing with us, Isla, about... Women's Cycle of Life and the Shea Method and how you've seen it to be so valuable, um, even invaluable. And then if you would share with us after that a specific story um, of a woman that you saw impacted on both your first and your second trip teaching. And we're heading back to India in January as well to do more trainer of trainer in this method. And then we're going to open it up for some questions. Good morning. Um, I am a registered nurse. Um, I'm proud to say I've been in the field for over 39 years, all in women's health, uh, which is maybe why God called me to do this. But in 2007, I was trained as a TOT1 under CHE to learn how to bring community health evangelism and community health education to women overseas. Um, it literally is down at the village level sitting with women, hearing their stories, helping them to understand their strengths and their assets because women very often see themselves as weak and ineffectual and we know that's not true. Everybody has strengths. Everybody has something they can bring to the table. And I was privileged to work and be mentored by Charlene in using these techniques 
we try to inspire and empower indigenous women leaders to bring health principles to their villages, their communities, back to their individual ministries to reach women. And the women's cycle of life literally goes from puberty to menopause. You can do a full five-day on training and literally cover every topic from becoming a woman to the end of a woman's life with menopause. One of the things that I've seen is that the level of misunderstanding and the lack of knowledge that women have about their own bodies is staggering. Staggering. From the simplest anatomy and physiology, um, the education isn't there. Men will not educate women. Women are ignorant. And for Partners International Women, because we're not, we're not 100% Che, um, we will take different lessons and work them into empowering our women leaders across the globe. Um, we have partners that have adopted the method, use it extensively, and interweave health teaching in other related topics as they do their women's transformation groups, as they do their village development. Um, one of the neatest things that came out of this was a young pastor in South India who never saw the Bible as a health teaching tool. He said, Bible study is Bible study. We teach scripture. We teach Jesus. And he made an immediate plan after being exposed to women's health education to incorporate holistic health teaching in the women's home study groups around his village to begin to incorporate health teaching into biblical teaching. Um, and again, as King's Pride Hammond brought up, Jesus started his ministry healing. Healing. Um, this is all about reaching people where they live not bringing Western ideas of medicine to a village in India where you're doing your teaching sitting in a circle under a tree with the women holding their babies in their laps. And we ask these questions. What do you see? What do you hear? Does this happen in our place? Good morning, Mr. Payne. Um, what do we do about it? How do we take that action step as village women to change the health of ourselves, of our children, of our families? Men in developing countries think that they control everything. Okay? We know as the woman goes, so goes the family, the village, the community. Women have a lot more control than they understand. And so we've learned, and I've learned over the years, how to use these techniques um, through Charlene's mentoring, through God's mentoring. Um, a very brief story of Mrs. Saraswati, 
who has become a health evangelist in Delhi, India. In 2010, we did a five-day women's cycle of life training with Charlene McWilliam and her team in Delhi, India. And we did the full five-day class. It was the first time that I had ever done this. And Mrs. Saraswati came, and I noticed that she was remarkably bright and absorbed a lot of the techniques. And we left these women in the hands of our local partner, because, of course, I don't live in India. Neither does Charlene. In 2011, I came back to kind of do a little touch-up, and Mrs. Saraswati came. And I heard this story that sitting in Charlene's lessons on pregnancy warning signs, this brand-new believer, this baby Christian, absorbed the information. And as she worked and ministered in one of the most harshest places, a slum in North Delhi, a neighbor came to her. It said, my daughter couldn't get to the hospital. She's had a baby. Something's wrong. And Mrs. Saraswati went, and she found transportation, and she got this mother and new baby to the hospital and saved their lives because she sat in a session and listened to Charlene and Lydia and myself teach about pregnancy health, newborn warning signs. Beyond the two lives that she saved, she's now saved countless others for eternity because she has earned the respect of her community. The women come to her and they ask her questions. And she's become a community health evangelist in this slum that they took me through that my hosts kept apologizing for what they were showing me. I'd never experienced anything like this before in my life. And so what we have done is come around her and her ministry and helped them develop relationships. I went overseas the first time thinking science, art, medicine, drug regimens, processes. It's all about relationships. It's you to a ministry. It's the ministry to the community they serve. It's the individual worker and the structure around her. Women thrive on relationships. They want to share their hearts. They want their hearts to be known. And it makes an impact in the kingdom for all, all eternity. And so that I would like to leave you with the art and science of healing the relationships and healing because for women it's heavily skewed on the other side toward relationships thank you what are some questions that you might have right now I, again I don't know the vantage point from which you're coming but certainly we do have a list of resources at the end um, and references I will certainly give that to you yes most definitely. I have some cards here as well. Yes. Um, 
Good question. Yes, we do have a professional that travels with us. Um, I make my home in West Palm Beach, Florida, and there's a, a Christian university there called Palm Beach Atlantic University, and uh, one of the gentlemen that travels with us will be on our trip to India as well is a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Carson. He was um, a Fulbright scholar, and he's written a curriculum, which is also very interactive and relatively reproducible, um, surprisingly so for, for, you know, mental health. Um, so I could also connect you with that. be happy to. Yeah, the programs that we always, always want to use are holistic. And so even if, if we're talking clean water and sanitation, we're also talking about family relationships. We're talking about character development. Mm -hmm. In every day of women's cycle of life, there is a story on a woman from the Bible. And it might be the husband and wife relationship. It might be forgiveness. It might be uh, jealousy. We always want to deal with the heart, the spirit, the mind, the body. Because it's all interrelated, and that is how Jesus worked. That's right. He? Thank Jesus you. Jesus worked the whole person. Yep. Another question. That's an excellent question. She asked if we ever have resistance from the men in the community. I think um, I would say more than resistance, there is a, a hierarchy, and we, all, we always acknowledge that hierarchy. And because I work as part of a mission that includes men along with women, that is definitely to our favor. Um, we, we honor them. We include them as much as they want to be included. Sometimes they insist upon sitting through the entire teaching with us, if it's, even though it's rather intimate <laughs> topics that are being discussed for women um, in certain cases, not always. Um, but we certainly always want to see them as our partners, um, even as you know, God puts men and women together in, in partnership. Um, so on rare occasions, yes, but more often than not, no. I would say I've experienced a, a lot of gratitude from men, whether we're teaching women's cycle of life, health education, or we also have another curriculum we use called Bridges for Women. It's the oral Bible for women. And that, along with women in the window, these are just different reproducible, sustainable tools that we're imparting um, in the developing world primarily, uh, but even in like in the Middle East and, and those cultures. Um, so, yeah, what we've, what we've seen is that they actually really are grateful for example, one, one man in, um, in Sudan who we taught his wife the oral Bible for women, and she was completely illiterate and at the end had done a beautiful, amazing job, far better than, than most of us could, um, in memorizing the stories of Scripture and then receding, repeating them back and just became like almost an instant church planter um, as a result of that, that training. His wife, he, he ran forward at the end of the training and said, this is my wife. Now we can work together. So more often than not, that's, that's what we see and that's what we hear. Yes, in the back. How do we choose which places we visit and do we always go to different places? Well, again, currently I'm serving with Partners International and I'm part of um, this long-term ministry which develops long-term partnerships. So our goal is to really, you know, pour ourselves into women leaders who will then, they have, you know, probably a broader impact in, in choosing different places to go. Um, I am a big fan of pioneering and going to new places in the unreached, but again, primarily doing that through the indigenous local leader. 
Um, so I, we would prefer to do one, two, or three, you know, trainings, the initial, the follow-up, and then even another, you know, check-in with the same leader in the same group, um, and then let them pioneer that out as they see fit. So it's kind of some of both, to be, to be honest. And you had a question right here, and I forgot. I'm so sorry. Okay. Most definitely. And Che, um, we do have the, um, actually the president, is it president? I am president. Thank you. <laughs> of LifeWind International with us today, ladies. So um, that is a wonderful privilege. And you're doing some sessions today as well. Yes. Yes, you certainly can. I just wanted to address the empowering men thing because, yes, the women's cycle of life lessons will get into things that women might be embarrassed having men in the room. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we did this past year, both in South India and in Delhi, with the cooperation of LifeWind and their native trainers, we had men in the initial sessions. And I had Brother Ebenezer come down. And when things, when we needed to separate, then we had him available to speak to the men, to speak to the husbands, mm to talk separately yeah, with them. And we did the same thing in Delhi. We brought down a LifeWind trainer to work with the men. Mm-hmm. We need to have the men's cooperation mm-hmm. because in so many of these countries, the women cannot make this decision on their own. Mm-hmm. If they go back to their ministry and say, I would like to have 50,000 rupee because I want to do this program, if the men don't get it, mm-hmm. they're not getting the money. Mm-hmm. So you get creative in how to bring um, the men in, and that was how we did it with the partnership of LifeWind in bringing in, and because their trainers are on the ground in India, mm-hmm. when a pastor comes to me and says, oh, Sister Isla, can you come to our, be- our big meeting in October? We want you to do this. I say, have you met Brother Ebenezer from Bangalore? Please have a consultation learn about the program, then they can put a request in to Kim. Will you come empower and equip our women? And then Kim says, okay, how are we doing this? Who are we partnering with mm-hmm. to accomplish our goals? Other questions? Yes. Wonderful. In villages. And one of the things that we discovered was um, such high rates of miscarriage and high rates of birth defects and all kinds of problems. Yes. And we've been approaching health from this environmental viewpoint. Okay. Um, but talking about cultural norms and things like that, it seems a lot of um, cousin marriages and uncle niece mm. marriages are mm. taking place. Mm. And so, like, you can only help so much if genetically they're predisposed to have these problems. Right. So Yeah, well, nothing is impossible for the Lord, not to minimize what you're saying at all or, you know, trivialize it or spiritualize it. But um, I agree, these things are often going to take generations. And that is, again, why we think, you know, even as healthcare professionals, 
professional educators with terminal, terminal, terminal degrees. We always want to come on a grassroots level and start with a biblical worldview. Because as we're transforming one individual, one family, one village from a biblical worldview, generationally those things will change. Um, now, King's Pride last night, he talked about Ghana as being a very dark place. I personally found myself wanting to raise my hand and say, I think maybe this is a little dark. <laughs> because if you ride through the streets of Accra, for example, in Ghana, you see the impact of generations of strong Christians, um, you know, and their children, and, and hopefully even their grandchildren now. I mean, it seemed as though so many businesses were naming themselves after, you know, their favorite scripture. Um, there was a drilling shop called um, Sow in Tears and Reap with Joy, well, welding and drilling business, you know. <laughs> no, literally on every corner, no matter what it was, you saw a little piece of, of scripture of the Christian worldview had just seeped its way into the roots of this culture and, and, uh, and these people. So it is a long, slow um, process of the, doing that transformation. But, you know, you're an entry point and a starting point, and, and that's what the Lord wants. So thank you. And we always ask that question. <laughs> you know, it's a good question. I don't know how much there is strategic training with that. You know, what did Jesus do? You know, looking at the life of Jesus and even the life and ministry of Paul. I mean, Paul was a great empowerer of women. And, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think that's, to me, for where I am personally right now and where our ministry is, that's kind of on the table. You know, how can we best do that? Um, because, it's, you know, we, it's, I was talking to a friend recently. We said, you know, we kind of think, well, when someone comes to Christ, of course they're going to adopt all of the teachings of Christ. But culture is a powerful, powerful thing. So it, it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of um, intentionality and a lot of sensitivity. You know, we don't come in with an agenda to change their culture. We want Christ incarnate in that culture. But he knows how to do what needs to be done. In each culture and in each life. Yes. Public health. Yeah. 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 We have a, a wonderful. Um, one of the components of this training, correct, Ala? Would you speak to that? What the, the training that we provide? No. <laughs> I'm, searching, I'm searching for an answer. Oh, okay. Well, I observed just a very short portion of this because, again, I'm the director of the ministry, and I, I don't do the direct training on this particular component of women's cycle of life. And I observed um, women being educated in the, the even the parts of their own body, um, the cycle. You know, when they got pregnant. You remember all of that? Yeah. Um, um, natural birth control. Mm -hmm. Exclusive breastfeeding for lactation, amenorrhea. Um, and I actually did have somebody pose a question to me about poverty and, and children. And they were quite stunned that my answer was that the answer to poverty in developing countries is not destroying children. Um, we do have to have that biblical influence. We do need the Christian health educator to show women that there is another way besides forced sterilizations, besides abortion. Um, 
you know, India has had a long and very difficult history with sex selection ultrasounds, um, similar to China. Um, I asked a partner's wife if she had had an ultrasound with her new baby, and she looked at me and she said, we're not allowed. We're not allowed. Uh, it still exists. But yeah, I mean, this has to be a component of a woman's education okay. because we are battling the secular NGOs that are pushing the population control agenda. Is poverty harsh? Yeah. Is a family struggling to feed six children harsh? But can we teach that family how to farm and feed their own children? Can we put some of the money that we're putting into birth control and forced sterilization into irrigation and teaching people how to be self-sustaining? Raising goats, raising chickens, all the things that go on. There are other ways, and we do need to be in the forefront as women. But I will tell you as a health professional, sitting in a professional conference years ago in this country when I was a new believer and was told as a registered nurse that my agenda should be that teenage girls in the United States all go on birth control because they're completely incapable of controlling themselves. I raised my hand in protest, made my comment, and left the meeting. And other people came up to me and said, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that everybody doesn't have to go on birth control. Um, it's God's agenda. Mm -hmm. It's That's God's good. agenda. And the process, the generational process of changing people. My first foray into this was oral rehydration and had to listen to all of the cultural ideas. I was told in one rural Indian village that I, we couldn't use lemon juice because it made their children sneeze. Mm hmm and I stood there thinking, mm -hmm. what do I say to this? This mm -hmm. is their culture. So God gives much grace, and I said, coconut water mm -hmm. and salt and sugar. Thank you. Uh, it's a process. That's right. And you guys are young enough. You're starting the process. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a lot of change over your careers in making changes in these countries. And one thing that comes to my mind is, you know, render under Caesar, what is Caesar's? You know, as Jesus kind of taught, you know, uh, choose your battles, I, I guess you could say, and choose your allies. And public health can be a wonderful ally. And one thing that we always do aspire to is connecting with the, the local, you know, resources. Uh, public health resources can be a wonderful tool. We certainly can't do it all as Christian nonprofits, you know, whereas the church even. So we certainly want to um, ally ourselves appropriately with public health, with private health, with those of you who are serving as, as medical professionals, you know, on, on site um, in the back. <laughs> Female circumcision. Uh, very similar topic to, I think, what we're talking about here as far as the oppression of women, the brutality against women and girls. I mean, it's horrific. Um, it renders a young woman powerless by those whom she should be able to trust, her parents, um, the women, you know, heroes in her life. 
are asking her to do something that is, is just terrific without going into too much detail. And yet, it's a cultural norm. Uh, we were just in with, with uh, I was just with some women in Egypt who are taking up a WEMA. It's actually the ministry. And I think that they also have a representative here at this conference, um, Arab World Evangelical Ministers Association. And they have a strong women's work. And there is um, a, an amazing amount, and you said in a negative way, of female circumcision still taking place in Egypt, if you can imagine. But uh, there again, I think, we need to be careful and prayerful and start from the roots up in transforming the worldview. Um, it's not for us as Westerners to go in and to tell them that that is wrong. They need to come to that conclusion themselves. Um, what she is doing as an Egyptian woman is educating women, is educating women professionals, educating women leaders, mothers, grandmothers. And what I have seen that to be successful in just a small uh, portion of Kenya is changing the rite of passage, if you will, because female circumcision is a rite of passage, you know, going from being a girl to a woman and, you know, to aspire them to find something else, um, not to remove the, that, you know, the, the rite of passage, but to find something else. Are you? Do you? Okay. We should be asking you. <laughs> well, if anyone has questions, uh, <laughs> what is your name? Grace. Grace. Wonderful name. Um, yeah, I was just in Kenya as well, and um, God's doing some, some wonderful things in Kenya. It's a work in progress. So, um, yeah. What are your next steps? Let me go back to this slide. You know, how about you? Be aware of God's gifting in your life. Um, I have no idea. We, we don't know exactly where you are in this process. But hopefully we're all still learning. I pray that every day I learn something new and every day I stay humble enough to learn as much as God wants me to learn. Um, some of the things to be aware of in our lives is a holy discontent. Uh, this woman looking out the window is obviously not where she wants to be. And maybe you feel like that today. Like, God, there's something more. I just don't know what it is. Um, to have a willing heart, to have the open spirit, to become aware of your own personal gifts, talents, and abilities. Um, God has given you education, a family, resources, a position in life. Um, how does he want you to use all of that for his kingdom's work and glory? There is something for each of you to do that only you can do. And you know that, but maybe you need to be reminded of that. <clears throat> So would ask you, but we're out of time, what are your next steps? But ask yourself that, and I know we'll be asking ourselves that throughout this weekend. Some recommended next steps, obviously prayer, wise counsel, gathering with others who are like-minded that can kind of sharpen, iron sharpening iron with whatever your you know, perspective is and, and, and maybe a different perspective than yours. Um, <clears throat> uh, for me personally, some things that God did for me when he was calling me into full-time global missions was living debt-free, kind of a, a practical step that was necessary for me to be able to raise support and, and, and serve as a missionary. Uh, research options. There's more than one way to do missions. Find out which is best for you and what is God calling you to. And, of course, always, again, study, learn, grow. Uh, these are some, some uh, books that I would highly recommend. Discipling Nations by Darrow Miller is a great group study. There's activities at the end of each chapter that you could do with a small group. Um, I referenced earlier, Carrie, Christ, and Cultural Transformation. Great little book. 
And then when helping hurts, I noticed that, that um, Dr. Brian Vick, Vickert will be the speaker here next year for this conference. Um, I actually heard the other offer, author <clears throat> this summer, um, Steve Corbett, teach on this book. And I absolutely loved what he had to say. Um, th- there's a balance. And I think we're coming to a new generation of missions where I, I know for me personally, and I think even for our mission, we are beginning to receive as much from our partners as we are giving. And we are actually opening an office in Hong Kong for um, ministry outlet, for ministry resources coming through and to our partners. It's a very exciting time to be working in missions. I'm excited about that. Um, here are some references. Uh, you asked for the website. At the very bottom there is the LifeWind um, website. I have cards and brochures here with, with my website and information, our blog. Uh, we're on Facebook. I didn't put that up there. I should have. Shame on me. But um, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get to know you better. Any other questions or thoughts as we close? Yes. For us as Westerners right. going, okay. Well, for those who are living there long term. Right. Are, are yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, those are two different questions. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, short term, um, what are our barriers? I think they can, we, we can feel like we're getting through, like we're making impact, like we're being heard, and they can just smile and nod and go, <gasps> they're gone. Um, <laughs> after our two-week, three-week, one-month journey, Possibly. On the other hand, I have dear, fast friends, I would say, as this continues to, to grow in my life and heart. Some of my best friends are on the other side of the ocean. Um, I know some of you need to slip out. We're, we'll wrap this up. Um, I think long term, gosh, culture shock, incorporating yourself into the culture. Um, who, who maybe w- would like to answer her question? I know the time is up, but... As far as a long-term missionary serving overseas, what are some barriers as a woman that you've experienced? I think mental health is a big barrier for us, like women, especially like if you don't have a lot of support on either side of the world. Mm. Really, Yes. Amen. Having a team around you. And that's true wherever you are. That's true for me as well because I'm, I'm, I don't know who I am sometimes. <laughs> Very multicultural in my thinking and in my experience and in my relationships. And how many American people really understand that, even in the church. It's just a different kind of identity. And so we, we do need that. We need to surround ourselves. Um, Well, it's been wonderful, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for investing your time. God bless you and your journey.